I'm here today with Bjorn Bilhart and Matt Comfer over there in Austin, Texas. How are you? Very good. We are very good. Well, it's the first time we've had um, two guests on the on the show, so thank you very much for for both of you coming on. And you both work for a company called Ability, spelled I E at the end. Do you want to just say what it is that you who you are and what you specialize in? Uh, uh, first of all, thank you for having us on the podcast. Really excited to be here and, and excited to share with you some of the things that we've learned over the years about uh, simulation-based uh, leadership development. Um, so at Ability, we create leadership simulations and leadership programs, all from frontline manager uh, development all the way to executive development. Um, and we've been doing this um, actually uh, over the over the last uh, 16 years or so. We've we've uh, we've grown our uh, our company in uh, into a place where we have now clients in over 24 countries, about 20,000 participants that use our simulated leadership development programs around the world. And uh, excited to share with you what um, what we've learned over the years. Great, thanks for that, Bjorn. It, it, I do a lot of leadership development myself, so I'm really interested in this, and I'm always looking for ways to you know, bring it to life a bit and make it less theoretical, less pedagogical and more practical, especially as that's my natural <laughs> personality tends to be quite sort of theoretically drawn. So I'm really looking forward to this, really interested in what you guys have done in terms of making leadership development more experiential. And that's what this, um, what we're going to be talking about today is picking your brains for advice around how we can put, bring in simulations into leadership development and how we can make them work. So it, what what initially made you focus on this particular bit of learning and development? Yeah, I can give you a little bit of a background and history of, of how we got into this field. So uh, I started my first company, Inspire Learning, actually, out of business school. And the way we got started was we, you know, I, the, the, the basic tr- truthful story is I got bored in the classroom in business school. And, you know, I had a, a lot of case studies and a lot of lectures and, uh, you know, as I was uh, sitting in, in, in business school, I thought to myself, you know, that there must be a better way to, to do this. And uh, one of my professors back in the days, uh, at one point in time, had, had us come to the uh, gymnasium uh, and, and uh, to, 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 the, you know, to, to a large room and he dumped a bunch of Legos in front of us. And he made us business school students compete in a simulated uh, activity using Legos. And I, I remember distinctly that that moment when everyone for the entirety of the exercise was incredibly engaged. Um, and we, at the end of that exercise, have learned more about operations management than in the 10 lectures before uh, and 10 case studies that we did before. And I just felt the power of that type of learning experience in business school. And so, you know, as, as I uh, sat back into my classes in, in, in the following days and weeks, I, I I said, you know, let's. Th- th- this was so powerful. What if we use computer-based simulations to really move the needle in, in education? And so that's sort of how the idea got started. Um, I got together with a few of my colleagues, uh, uh, fellow students at the time, and we did a few field studies. And one of them, uh, we uh, cajoled our professor into uh, the possibility of using it in one of their executive education classes, if we could complete it on time. So we basically worked day and night, you know, sort of the, the standard dorm room, uh, uh, startup, if you will, uh, to, uh, create a simulation in supply chain management. Uh, and that simulation, uh, right, right after we graduated, um, the professor made good on their promise to use it in their executive education class. Uh, that became a, a, a 
wildly successful simulation is actually still uh, one of the most widely used uh, simulations in supply chain management. Um, it's it's uh, sold through Harvard Business Publishing now, and, and it's a very um, robust simulation uh, that showcases the power of uh, how to build a global supply chain uh, and, and some of the pitfalls um, when, when you do that. So, it's, so that was how we got our start. And then from then on, I spent over a decade in my first company, Inspire Learning, developing custom simulations for companies, you know, so simulations around very specific processes and procedures, um, specific philosophies uh, that companies have, specific, you know, kind of sales scenarios and environments. And then about, uh, I guess, four or five years ago now, we said, you know, we, we've now learned enough, um, to just enough to be dangerous, I guess. And we are ready to build our own intellectual property and, 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 and you and, and really create state-of-the-art, the best simulations that one can possibly build in, in the areas of leadership development. So uh, so I uh, sold the first company, Inspire, and um, and started uh, my second company, Ability, where our focus is, our, our sole focus is to, to um, de uh, develop and then um, deploy uh, state-of-the-art leadership development simulations around the world. Wow, okay. And it all started with Lego. <laughs> it all started with Legos, that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, as soon as you say anything like that, you imagine yourself in this room and it, it becomes a game, it becomes playful. I don't know, to me, it's just obviously is a lot more kind of engaging than any other kind of activity, really, that we would think to do in education. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, so so often we have clients, uh, and, and I, I'm sure any, everyone that's in leadership development sort of has, has this sort of, uh, you know, initial fear, like, you know, whatever you put on, uh, you know, what what will happen? Will people be you know disengaged? Will the people be leaving the room? Will people you know be on their cell phones checking emails? You know like that, and that's always sort of a worry that that clients have. They do that anyway before they see our our. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it's just something that we have never run into. You know, we just never had uh, you know people that that disengage because it's it's that, that you typically don't do that when you're in a in a highly competitive uh, game and simulation if it's set up right and and and, and yeah, so that's. That's of course uh, the, the the trick, but and and that that's the trick you said is about how well it's set up, and that's really what we're going to talk about now. Um, and what's interesting as well is you you said about Lego just as was that initial inspiring idea, but also that's so low tech. You know, this isn't a case of like building Star Trek holodeck or anything like that. This is this is as low tech as Lego, or oh, it could be. It could be. It absolutely could be, yeah, yeah. I, there is, uh, you know, a lot of times. I mean, we we obviously do some pretty sophisticated computer-based simulations over here, but you know, a lot of times we have clients that are that are like, well, we you know, we we'd love to do something uh, on on our own, you know, for our very specific purpose, and um, and you know, but we don't have the the, the the time and budget to really create something in on the computer. And I always say, you know, don't use the computer. I mean, if you can, you know, and I think any good educator has a million different ways in which they can bring content to life. And a lot of it actually, you know, you, you may not think of that as, you know, quote unquote simulation, but a lot of those things that that really bring content to life are, you know, sort of these, you know, scenarios, exercises where you put people in situations and you let them do and fail. And oftentimes you don't need the computer for that. You know, it's a piece of paper. You, you're going to talk us through now some bits of advice that you've got. You've got five bits of advice, so we're going to go through those, and I guess some kind of basic principles will emerge as we go through. Let's talk about the first one. Yeah, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about we, we kind of uh, strategized and thought about the, the five things that, that we would impart 
on somebody as kind of maybe potential keys to integrate simulations. And, and the first one that when we think about it as a company is sometimes it's better if the simulation design doesn't 100% replicate the real world. And I think that's a little bit um, maybe surprising to people at the start. And the, the reason is, you know, it's possible to go out and build a simulation that can come exceptionally close to replicating the real world. But the problem is, it's almost impossible to replicate it fully 100%. And then when you put participants in that experience and it's competitive and it's time-based and it's maybe 90% of the way there or 98% of the way there, they tend to find the nitpicks on the 2% or 3% or 10% that doesn't look like their day-to-day -day or their real world. And they keenly focus on that component of what isn't right. So instead, when we're building a simulation, we try to, at some level, be industry agnostic and day-to-day -day agnostic of what 100% would replicate the real world. So you pull people out of finding the nitpicks and instead you let real learning happen. They're not worried about how this doesn't look like the real world. Instead, they're worried and keenly focused on how does this actually reflect me as a manager or me as a leader or me as a, a part important part of this organization. And so that would be the first piece of advice that we would give. And, and to add to that, so, so it's actually the interesting uh, question to, to, to first ask is, you know, so what, what actually is a simulation, right? And, and there are a lot of misconceptions, I think, in, in, in the training industry in particular, because simulation is such a broad term. It can really mean anything. Uh, it can mean, you know, when, when you think about our kids playing, you know, cowboys and Indians, you know, that, that, that's a simulation of the real world, right? And it's clearly not realistic because they're playing in the backyard, you know, they don't have real, they don't have real guns. So, the interesting thing is, you know, when you look at where simulations are used for adult learning, a lot of it is in areas like medicine, where, you know, life and death is at stake. Uh, if you go to, to look at the, the Air Force, right, uh, flight simulators, uh, those are sort of the, the, the things where, you know, when you ask people, you know, where do you do simulations for adult learning? You know, people come up with those examples. It's, it's, it's you know, when, when life and death is at stake, you know, when, when you have to practice uh, you know, uh, opening up a, a, a person's heart and you don't want to actually practice on a real heart. You want to first practice on a simulated heart. You know, you want to practice flying a simulated airplane before you um, invite passengers to, to fly with you. But, you know, what's what's interesting and to, to Matt's, um, Matt's point in terms of, um, you know, simulation doesn't need to replicate 100% the real world. You know, a lot of people then say, well, but this, the flight simulator does, right? Like there we have this, you know, very fancy flight simulator, you know, and, and it needs to be as realistic as possible. But here's actually a really interesting tidbit of information for, for those listeners that are not airplane buffs and have not been in a simulator environment. So when you go to Southwest Airlines, it's one of our, our, our great, great clients here in the, in the U.S., um, and, and you tour their flight simulator facilities, it's actually surprising that, you know, that yes, there are these full flight simulators, but there are a large number of other flight simulators 
different flight simulators that are replicating a very specific piece of the entire flight experience. And pilots practice in those first before they get into the, the main flight simulator. And so it's really interesting, you know, people have this perception that, you know, if you want to build a simulator uh, for to, to, to teach pilots, that it has to be this, you know, absolutely realistic cockpit environment. And the answer or the, 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 the truth is that's actually not the case. Um, most of the time, 80% of the time when you are in flight training, outside of studying the books, you, you are you spent on specific simulators, you know, that one that just focuses on keeping the rudder so that you are, you know, even on the flight path. And it has no other functions around it. Um, and you practice in that over and over again, you practice that very specific function. You know, our forte is leadership development and developing someone's skill set in becoming a good leader, becoming a business professional that makes the right strategic decisions that allows people to, to follow them and, and, and inspire them. And so what we've learned is that what we need to do is create an environment that, that recreates some of the scenarios that people find in their real world so that they can practice and, and learn by doing, learn by failing. But what we don't need to do is recreate you know, their office environment specifically with all of the details, because like Matt mentioned, that really distracts from the learning. So when we think of simulator simulations for leadership development, um, we really are talking about environments that give you enough realism for you to be able to practice the critical leadership skills that you need to be successful. And, and you know, a lot of times we have to counsel our clients to not to not focus on creating simulations that are, you know, basically replicas of the real world. Yeah, I, I, when you were talking then, and when Matt was talking earlier, I was thinking, it's you, you have to you have to simulate the important bit, the bit that you're learning in that moment. That has to be right, but you exactly. don't have to simulate anything else. So if you're talking about like you mentioned a surgeon, you're doing a heart. Usually, those things that they practice on don't actually have any legs. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, because there's no point. There's no point making legs for those, is there? They just don't matter. And and similarly, the plane, even though you, as you, as you say, it's massively expensive and, and fancy thing, but it doesn't actually have any wings. That's exactly you know, right, yeah. You're just simulating the bit that matters, and that's just the cockpit experience or just the heart experience. And similarly, if you're a leader, yep, exactly, it doesn't really matter if, you know, what the office is like or what, you know, those kind of details and i'd never actually thought about it as you were saying matt that that's actually distracting because you would spot the errors i never thought that it, but you're right it's exactly right so you, that's exactly what would catch your eye the imperfections so that's so interesting to know that's actually a distraction yeah so we love for example using you know sort of fictitious market environments versus real countries right you know so you go with a real country and 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 you and you know, say, you know, Germany has, you know, like here's the, your market in Germany and everyone says, well, I know Germany is, you know, 10 million more people in them, you know, and, or whatever it is. And so you all of a sudden you start to in the precious time that you have available in, in training, you know, you start to your mind starts to think about things that, it, that are irrelevant, because when you when the skills are ultimately transferred to the real world, you will have the real data available. But for the simulation purposes, you know, we, you know, we make up a country or, you know, we make up a market and, and we say, you know, and now, now let's look at that market to, in order for people to focus on the things that are important. 
Well, the good news is as well, what you're saying is actually easier. You're actually making it easier for people. You're saying, you know, don't bother getting the perfect set design. Just focus on the bits that are actually important, the bits you're trying to learn. So it's, this is good news, this one. It is really good news. It, it helps make the experience more compelling. And it actually kind of leads nicely into that second tip that we would probably give, which is the facilitator-led debriefs are really a critical component. And it's part of the reason that when we design a simulation, all of them are competitive, all of them are team-based to get people involved and intrigued in the environment and keep them engaged. But all of them actually also have a facilitator component. And the reason is because that's where you can start to dive into, okay, we've been playing in this environment. It maybe doesn't replicate your real world, but the facilitator can then step in after a quarter of gameplay or a month of simulated real world environment and then tie back and say, here's what's happened in our virtual environment, but let's pull back from the simulation and let's say, okay, how does this replicate what goes on in the real world? So you have this really nice cadence between a simulated environment that doesn't need to replicate the real world 100%. It's actually better if it doesn't because it pulls people out. And then you allow some light bulb moments of learning to happen in the facilitated component that breaks up the simulated environment. And I think that's the part where then people are going back and forth between the simulated, the game, getting the learnings out of that, but then the facilitator comes in and says, okay, here's what we wanna talk about, about how your industry dynamics happen. What do we do as a company that reflect what you've been actually experiencing in the game? So you're pulling out the learning points, but you're also now tying it back to the real world. Yeah, and it's a really nice dynamic, and I think it allows people to then really expose themselves as a leader, maybe the things that they are starting to realize about themselves, some maybe things that they need to work on. The simulated environment pulls that out, but then the facilitator is actually able to then tie it back to the real world, and, and, and it's a really impactful dynamic. I was going to say, because one of the things that people often say in learning is, it has to be tied to real work. It has to be tied to specific outcomes and all that kind of stuff. Adults don't learn, you know, just generally they, they need reasons to learn. So that might be a criticism of a simulation which isn't completely realistic. But then you're saying that then this is this is where it actually pulls it to the ground and, and makes it mean something for people's everyday life. Yeah, I think... We have, a, we have a colleague here who I think does a really good job of talking about um, our management challenge um, simulation, which there's six direct reports that you're managing in a virtual environment, and they each have different profiles. Obviously, we've attributed names to them. Um, they can even be, they're tied to, um, you know, personality profiles. And what ends up happening by the end of the simulated environment is people start talking in the environment about, you know, I have a Mary on my team. Um, and, you know, right. you don't have a Mary on your team, but this simulated character has now started to represent what you have as a manager in your real world. And then you start thinking about how you need to approach your quote unquote Mary differently come Monday morning. And I think it's a, it's a nice way to kind of diffuse what might be tough conversations to have because you now have this shared language in the simulated environment. Yeah, it's a really nice example. So the facilitator in these debriefs, they're going to be 
are, are they actually um, like training content at this point? Are they is it knowledge transfer? Is it are they getting them to skills practice, or is it just a case of reflecting on the simulation itself? Well, I, in in the experiences that we've created, I think it's all of the above actually, and 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 I do think that is oftentimes something that we feel is misunderstood in the market. You know, a lot of people love the idea of simulation-based learning. And so, uh, you know, they call us up and say, you know, what have you, you know, what types of simulations do you have? And, uh, you know, and, and, and can I just, you know, send my participants a link and they, they can play in the simulation, um, you know, by themselves. And, you know, we actually intentionally have created our simulation so that you can't just do them by yourself. We'll talk a little bit later about peer-based learning as well, which is a critical element. But but really, you know, in our mind, and this you know again goes back to what what happens when a pilot flies in a flight simulator. What happens when a doctor practices open heart surgery on on a patient? It, it's partly you learn by you know doing the actual surgery on the on the you know fictitious patient, but you learn as much, if not more from the person that sits next to you that gives you advice on, you know, here's what you should have done. You know, when you look at flight simulator training, there's always the experienced pilot in, you know, the coast pilot in the cockpit with you to debrief what happened. And so I think a lot of times people want this magical simulation that just basically people play on their own. And then the simulation sort of, uh, and their perception is that the simulation spits out the answer, right? Like, you know, here you, you know, yeah, uh, have of course. A, you know leadership simulation, some decisions, and then the simulation all of a sudden says you're a good leader here and you're a bad leader here, and and it just that does not that does not work in my experience, especially with a topic that's as complex as leadership development, which is I think analogous to a topic that's as complex as learning how to fly an airplane. It does work for some smaller things, right? You know, if, if you are simulating procedural knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. You can simulate a procedural knowledge and get people to check on whether they've understood a procedure by themselves online. And, the you know, the simulation, quote unquote, which you know can also be called a simulation, I guess, spits out the answer for you. And, you know, you get five out of six steps right and one out of six steps wrong. And you can review that. So for some smaller topics, yes, you can learn it on your own. But I guess our second main point that, you know, or piece of advice, I guess, is what, what, what we call it in this in this podcast, our, our second Main point, yeah, uh, is that it, it for more difficult topics, in particular around leadership development, strategy, business acumen, facilitators, and and, and facilitated debriefs uh, and coaching is critical for the experience. So you mentioned in that last answer then about the importance of learning from peers and not not learning on your own unless it's very simple thing. And and I think you're right. I think most people would imagine a simulation is going to be something like some fancy e-learning that's gamified or maybe some sort of second life type experience that you can just sit in a room and do it on your own or maybe do it on your phone. I I don't know. I don't play computer games, but there are games like that where you simulate building cities and stuff. So I I guess that's what most of us do imagine. But you're, you're you're saying it's not that, even though it is to some extent computerized. So what is it? then let's go back a, yeah. a step <laughs> i know it's hard to it's hard to explain and describe so so first of all like i guess going back to one of the, the things we talked about earlier and the main, main point you know simulations can mean almost anything right you know you, you can uh you, you know 
oftentimes, you know, you, you, you know, well, you give me an example then give me, give me an example of, um, one of your simulations that you think works particularly well in leadership development? Uh, a typical leadership program that we run. It's going to be a one-day event. Um, you know, we do virtual, but, you know, it's, I mean, for, for purposes of visualizing what we do, I think it's probably easier to visualize the cl- classroom-based deployment. You know, so we do, we do, but we do do the same thing virtually, and we can talk about that later as well. But in the classroom, you know, have, let's say, 40 people in a uh, leadership program at the beginning of the of the day, we split them into teams. Every person has a specific role on a team, and we basically ask them to run a startup company. Again, not replicating the real world as you know, kind of like we're not giving them their own jobs. Um, we're giving them a fictitious job in a startup company in a fictitious industry with uh, with fictitious markets. But in each of these uh, companies. Every person has a role. So there's a CEO, CFO, their vice presidents, directors. Um, and then you log into the, the computer and you find data and information that is unique to you. So the CEO has certain pieces of information. In fact, the CEO is almost has very little information. That's by design. You know, the director level, you know, the, pe- the people that are in the weeds in R&D or in sales and marketing, uh, they got they have all the information. We then, you know, kind of uh, give people the rules uh, of the simulation. Uh, allow them to practice and you know make sure that they understand the mechanisms of of, of what they're doing you know sort of you know everything like like any any simulation any any you know game you play at home you know any monopoly has rules right so you've explained those and then um and then we let uh then when we start timed quarters you know we basically say you know that you you're constrained here in three ways from what you want to do uh you only have certain amounts of money we we give every company seven and a half million dollars for this for one of our simulations you also are constrained by people so you have these virtual employees that you have to manage and then you're constrained by time um you know you've got 20 minutes uh, to make decisions as an executive team and come to conclusions and so um you know we put people in this pressure cook environment for 20 minutes and then you know one team in that 20 minutes you know, typically manages to, you know, launch a new product line, address a new market and solve some big problems on the way. And then another team in the same 20 minutes struggles to even make basic decisions. And so that gives us a wonderful way to then basically say, okay, now let's stop the timer here. Let's figure out what happened. Why did this team, you know, successfully execute versus versus the other team, and then and then we change leadership roles so that everyone gets a chance to become CEO and everyone gets a chance to lead their team. And we and, and the lessons on leadership really come up come about when you see you know how the team transforms with different leaders, how the team executes under pressure, um, how the communication among the team itself plays out and how that communication leads to better decisions, uh, less good decisions. And so a skilled facilitator then can draw all sorts of leadership lessons out of the observation that they have. And throughout the day, I'll just kind of give you that picture, you know, 40 people in a room, teams of typically seven, eight people in one team, you know, with with various levels, you know, 20 minute quarters that are very, uh, difficult, uh, where you know you can it, mostly people jump out of their seats, run around to their peers, 
negotiate with them for resources, for time, for money, for, you know, whatever they need uh, to be successful in their job. You know, some people start shouting and, and some people, uh, you know, uh, some people try to convince their peers to go a certain way and are successful at it and some are not. Uh, and so you have this wonderful baseline environment that you can then have meaningful discussions around what it truly means to lead effectively in a large team. You've invented something that looks a bit like, looks and feels a bit like a game that has rules, that has structure, and you're stepping people through it with these constraints and you're facilitating it really. And this is within a, a single day is the way you're doing that. But then you're saying that you're checking in every quarter. So do you mean that it's, the simulation lasts for a year? Or do you mean that the, the, the year is simulated it's within the day? Did that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I think I think it did. Yeah, yeah, the entire experience is contained within a day, right? So oh, okay. um, a quarter, a, a simulated quarter. Yeah, simulated quarter lasts 20 minutes. Then there's a 20-minute debrief. Uh, then there's another strategy session, another 20-minute quarter, then a 20-minute debrief, and so on. And so throughout the day, you play through multiple quarters. You actually play for multiple years um, uh, throughout the whole day. And you get to see the long-term implications of some of the decisions that you make. That's another great way to think about it. Oh, that's about, good. Know. That's good. I wish that was true in real life. Right, right. Well, it's it's really fascinating. Uh, you know, GE is one of our, our clients, and um, GE Aviation, uh, we, we work a lot with them in, 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 um, in preparing their future leaders. And one of the things we hear over and over again, and why this is so impactful for them, is, you know, when, when you work as a senior engineer or project manager at GE Aviation, uh, you, you are working, by definition, on a product that will eventually fly but that will likely fly well after your own retirement. So when you think about, you know, sort of the, the tenacity that you have to have, right, to be able to work on and, and, and be successful at, at creating something that you will never get to see it in, in the, you know, perform in the real world, right? Um, you, by definition, sort of uh, get, uh, get a, a, a worldview that's really, you know, you, you, that is very limited. And so what we do that is so impactful at GE is we give people an understanding of, you know, what happens if they don't do well on a safety concern early on, you know, in, in the simulated quarters, you know, 10 quarters down the line, it's going to come back and bite, bite you. And giving people that view, that long-term view and that an understanding of, you know, here I made a decision and I didn't, you know, initially it seemed like a great decision, but, you know, years down the line, it's actually it was the wrong decision. And then talking about what that means in the real world, right? You know, what does this mean when, you, you know, when you have various choices on aircraft design, on air, aircraft, uh, you know, avionics design or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's where real meaningful discussions happen. And, and a lot of these senior level people at, at GE, you know, come back at the end of the, the, the day and say, this is the first time that I sort of saw the bigger picture, right? The long term view. So I think we do feel that, that partly what a simulation can do, again, and, you know, it can't simulate, quote unquote, but the long-term view of, of exactly what's happening for, for a GE avionics, right? But it can give people an understanding of how short-term decisions really cascade through over multiple quarters and years to, be, to become bigger problems if they're not addressed early on. Right. And, and in each of these 
simulations that you're doing, within each 20 minutes, you could learn a lot or learn nothing. Or you could learn the wrong lesson. You know, there's lots of things that could happen in that 20 minutes. I, how are you making sure that you're actually just trying to get, well, at the moment, we're just doing effective decisions. Or at the moment, we're just doing being persuasive. Whatever the, the objective is, how do you kind of set up the objective? One of the things that, that I love about um, the, the simulation and, and the one that Bjorn has been referencing is called our executive challenge simulation is normally we'll let the first quarter or two quarters of gameplay go um, with what's really necessary is just your, your rudimentary task as the CEO or the CFO or the VP of R&D, for example. But we have what we call external events and those tend to start appearing in quarters two, three, four, five later. And, and what they are is, I kind of like to refer to them as, as curveballs using an, you know, an American baseball analogy. And so they might be you know, an impending hurricane could be coming down at your facility abroad and you as one of the team members might get a pertinent piece of information that you need to share with the rest of the team and then the C-suite needs to make a final um, decision or another external event we have is based on you know production issues or a PR crisis or an acquisition attempt and and what we're trying to do is one up the intensity a little bit but two really force the collaboration the teams that are successful are those that have had strategic decisions and had strategic conversations about you know, how are we going to share information as a team or how are we going to delegate the decision making responsibility or when there's a conflict, when we disagree about the right course of action, who is going to make the final call? Who's going to click the button in the simulation to make that final decision? And I think that's where you start to see um, during the debriefs these, you know, some of these executives or new managers or new hires um, might be a little reticent to share their own leadership blind spots as an individual, but you put them in a pressure packed environment where that clock is ticking down and they need to make a decision about a PR crisis or a production issue. They really start to sweat a little bit. And then um, at the end of the experience, at debrief, at the end of that quarter, um, people really share and open up. And, and it's it's really interesting to watch. It's it's impactful to watch that happen. Yeah, I really want to do it now. You've persuaded me, Matt. I'm, I'm quite excited. I want to have a go. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a lot of fun. And uh, and we, we have a lot of people that want to play it again. <laughs> you know, do, do better next time. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's very, it's, I mean, yeah, I think the, the, the trick with, when you think about training, right, most people go, oh my God, now I need to sit down and be, lectured to right you know kind of I may get some information here but it's going to be you know tedious and boring and and I it, a simulation is just the absolute opposite of that and that, that really that alone you know creates so much value because you learn so much more when you have that level of engagement and you internalize it and, and especially when it's softer skills you know like how to actively listen you're not going to learn that by sitting in a lecture um, seeing a PowerPoint that says, listen more actively. But if you've yeah. just made a huge mistake and you've yeah. let your team members down in a simulated environment, uh, you're going to remember that lesson. We, 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 we were going through your five pieces of advice, and I'm sorry, I dragged us off in a different direction, but 
the first, just just to recap for a second, the first piece of advice that you said was don't worry about making things 100% real world. That can be distracting. Just simulate the important bits. Then we talked about the importance of the facilitator and they must debrief. There must be these regular debriefs where you're getting people to reflect and focus on the learning. Maybe you're sticking in a bit of knowledge content and you're giving people and you're talking about the skills and how, how they work. But that's a really essential part. You're not on your own here. And when you were talking about that, you, you mentioned the importance of peers, which is your third point is around learning from peers. So do you want to just talk through that? Exactly. And I think part of the, the part that Bjorn hit on when he was um, talking about the first couple of points is, you know, we are trying to, to simulate the real world. We're trying to put people in an immersive learning environment. And, you know, the vast majority of us work in an environment where teaming and collaboration is a critical component. And so if you're looking to extract long term positive benefits out of a training, the reason that all of our simulations are built to be competitive and team based is so everybody has to be engaged and everybody has to partner and collaborate for the team's success. You know, all of our simulations have a, you know, a winner or there is a component of the competitive pursuit of victory that keeps people engaged. But that competitive pursuit is all based on the performance of your team, which requires collaboration with your peers. So that would be point number three for us on a critical component for, for kind of simulation success. In many ways, I mean, social learning is always uh, more effective. I mean, the more you have to articulate yourself, the more you have to, uh, well, that really, the more you have to kind of have conversations and, and be convincing and be convinced, the more knowledge you create. So just the very fact that there's other people yeah. there that are making you do that as well as just the, the pleasure of, of company, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's such an overlooked component of education in general. You know, the, the interesting thing is I, when I started my first company, e-learning was all the rage, and it still is 18 years later, right? But I think there's a reason why e-learning hasn't replaced the classroom. And the, the interesting thing that I found is that, you know, when you think about you know, kind of the, the power of e-learning on the computer. Yes, you have all the knowledge that you could possibly want on, at your fingertips. But when you really think about it, you had every everyone, at least in the in the you know Western world, has had that same knowledge available at their fingertips for a hundred years. You'd always go to the library and read all books you, you you want all your life, right? So why do people go to to get an education, quote unquote? Why do people go to college? Why do why, why do people go to grad school? Why don't they just go to the library and read book? And I think. There is an answer to that question. And the answer is, it's your peers. You go to university. I mean, first of all, you, know, you want the degree. But, you know, there's also, there have been correspondence courses and correspondence course degrees, you know, but, but they have not taken off. They're not viewed as valuable as, as a, an actual university degree. You know, when you think about, you know, why that is, it's not the quality of the content. You know, you have that quality in the library. You have that, you know, you have the same books that you read when you do a correspondence course. What you don't have is you don't have your peers. And I think a lot of it is not just learning from each other. That's clearly a big part of it. But a lot of it is what you, what you gain um, by having peers in the room with you is a better understanding of yourself. Peers validate whether what you're saying is is is, is good or, or 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 nonsense, right? Peers, you know, peers allow you to judge whether your thought processes, whether your approach to a certain situation 
is you know resonates with others or 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 does not so without that reaction from peers you don't have i guess the feedback that you need in order to ultimately you know quote unquote better yourself and learn and become a better a better leader a better manager and so that's i think one of the primary reasons why people you know still prefer to actually get a degree in in the classroom versus in a correspondence course or in, or by going to the library and it has been you know i think such an overlooked element as most companies basically say well we have this classroom learning environment why don't we just take that environment and put it online on the surface it seems like the exact same information will, can be conveyed in an e-learning course or in a recorded webinar. I love the way you just said that because you said about the peers are a kind of reflection of yourself. So you can you can kind of see how you are landing. You can see how good your ideas are. But you're also forced to really, you know, tighten up in a way that you're not if you're just sitting on your own reading a book and you just think, oh, yeah, I know yep. that, I know that, I know that. Well, try and tell it to somebody then. Then you'll see yep. if you bloody know it or not. Yeah. All right, so that was the third one, and that's about the importance of learning from peers, and we, we talked about that, and I think most listen, listeners to this podcast, we've got a, quite a sophisticated audience, and I'm sure most of them are get social learning and the importance of that. Let's move on. Number four, um, Matt, this is around the executive involvement. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, so one of the things that, that we find when we work with a lot of clients is, you know, how do we get both executive buy-in, but also is there a way to involve executives in the process? And that honestly is is music to our ears when we hear it. And we find that it's incredibly valuable when executives can be involved in the process. And, you know, maybe I'll even just start with a story. One of the, the first times when I first joined Ability, um, one of the first simulations that I ever saw in person was with a large um, technology company based in the the Bay Area, and they had brought um, vice presidents from all around the world to this location to do what they kind of referred to as basically a, a VP summit. And so we're we're playing through. They've actually involved um, the C-suite in the game, and they've they're playing through. They're involved. There's some screaming. There's lots of collaboration. There's people up and out of their seats and. We know that the end of this simulation is going to finish with, um, you know, a wine and cheese reception as kind of a, a, a summation or a capstone to this this program, and then our simulation is is the last part of it. We're, we're getting to the last couple of rounds of gameplay. The teams are going back and forth. First place is now dropping into third. Second place has made a move. People are excited and invigorated by what's to come. We get to what is supposed to be the last round of gameplay. Um, a team moves from first place to second place, and some of the executives actually stand up and ask for us to push the wine and cheese back an hour because they want to play another round of gameplay. And I think it's at that moment, and I'm relatively early on in my career um, with Ability, that I realize that what we have here in a simulated environment, when you're able to get executive involvement and get them in the game, you have this unbelievable opportunity for people to actually, for the first time in my career, ever want to push back a wine and cheese event in order to play more of the game and extract more learnings. And I think it's that component that when you're able to involve executives in the planning process and even sometimes get them involved in the simulation component, 
you really get to this incredible environment where you have people from the organization sitting side by side with the people that they work with in the real world and real learning is happening. And, and I, I was just blown away by that in experience. I understand. I can't imagine anything feeling more important than wine and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> so you must have done a great job for that. So, um, I mean, executive involvement, the people always talk about the importance of leadership um, in, in uh, any kind of learning and you know, being there, walking the talk and all that stuff. And managers, of course, but the importance of managers, which often gets overlooked. And you have these executives who have personal stories that they've been on the front line of critical decisions. So we're simulating these critical decisions in a high impact environment. And then you have executives who, when the quarter is over and you know sweat is dripping down from people's faces, <laughs> um, you have executives who can say, you know, it was three years ago when I was starting my career with this company, or eight years ago when I was with a different company that we faced, you know, X Y Z decision, and and I was, you know, stuck and I didn't know what to do. And here's the path that we paved, and here's what I might have done differently in that situation. And so having executives in the planning process of any training, but especially a training that's going to involve a simulated environment is just such a critical component. So, so that's why we, we put that on our list. Yeah. And when I travel around a lot to a lot of different places, and one of the things that I hear more, well, not more than any other, but I hear a lot is people saying about how, when their leaders have done exactly as you just, just described, when they've told that story about when it went wrong and what they learned or you know, they too suffer from confidence sometimes. And all of these kind of stories, these are so inspiring for people that aren't in those leadership positions because they realize it's not a superhuman Absolutely. that's in front of them. It's just somebody who's learned more stuff. It's just somebody who's got some different skills yeah. at that point. Those are so inspiring. People tell yeah. me those stories all the time. And I think it's so critical that that's part of the leadership development journey. Uh, you know, a lot of times we have clients that, 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 uh, you know, fly people in from all over the world at, at you know, big expense, you know, and, but, but then they don't get the senior leaders to, to show up for, you know, a little uh, show and tell, a little, uh, you know, Q&A. And, and I always find when that happens that it's such a missed opportunity for people to be inspired by, by their leaders and, and for them to kind of also get, you know, a sense for, you know, what does it take to be an executive? Um, what do I need to, you know, how, how do I need to present myself? How do I need to answer questions in, you know, in, in that role? And a lot of times, yeah, that realization that these are people just like me a few years down the line, uh, that's, what, that's what gets a lot of resonance with, with participants. So we, we always push for as much of that involvement as possible. And, and the last one, come, come back to you, Bjorn, just for the last one, the last of these five. Yeah, so it's uh, probably, honestly, the last one is the most important one for, for, for me. Um, what, we, what we have here, and there's sort of five pieces of advice, right? You know, we, it shouldn't, doesn't need to replicate the real world, um, you know, 100% uh, needs to have a facilitator-led um, component. There needs to be peer learning and you need to involve executives. The last one uh, is, is that leadership development requires patience. A lot of times, we view leadership development sort of as the procedural, right? What are the learning objectives? And then, well, okay, you know, we're now learning leaders, right? So we understand what, what a learning objective looks like. Then let's break down the learning objectives into like five more subparts. And, you know, you know, these are the things that people quote unquote need to learn to become better leaders. 
And I do think there's a fallacy in, in that. Um, if it were that easy, <laughs> if, if becoming a, a well-rounded executive actually could be, quote unquote, learned by uh, internalizing five or, or six bullet points, you know, we, we, we'd have a world full of great leaders. <laughs> the, the, the skills involved in becoming a good executive, I think, are far more subtle. There's, there's a reason why it takes, uh, I forgot who, who said it, I think it's uh, Captain Solberg, it takes 10,000 hours to, to become really good at something, right? It takes a lot of time to become a surgeon. It, it takes a lot of time to become a good pilot. It also takes a lot of time to become a good executive. And the question is, you know, what is it that we can do as learning leaders to truly move the needle? And, and I think a lot of times we look for silver bullets as learning leaders. Uh, there's a huge movement right now toward nano learning. And I have a, I have a you know, maybe slightly controversial opinion on that. You know, the, the reason why people go toward nano learning is because all the people say, well, I can't sit through a day long of classroom training anymore. So give me the pieces that you need in, in, in five minutes, right? And and be done, right? And so the, as a learning leader, we're like, well, let's listen to the voice of the customer and let's be responsive to what they want. Uh, and, inst and instead of, you know, doing a day long training on something, let's try to package that learning into five minute, uh, you know, online mini chucks, right? And, and let's call it nano learning. I think there's possibility that that's actually the wrong direction and that the question we should be asking is why do people not want to sit through a day long of training maybe it's because the training isn't actually valuable <laughs> it's not because they don't want a day of reflection and a day of meaningful learning it's because the content may be not uh engaging enough for them to, to 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 feel like they're getting value from the day so as learning leaders we then say well i'll just package it into five seconds or five minute chunks when you think about designing for not check the box, you know, learning, have they, can they recall, you know, five leadership bullets that we impart on people, which a lot of times learning leaders, that's their, that's, that's what learning leaders think of as their, their job, right? You know, you know, what, what's the recall rate, <laughs> right? And so there's like, you know, the Kirkpatrick level two and three, can they recall six months later, the, 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 the lesson I actually think, and, and, and then if, if they can't, well, it wasn't effective. And, uh, you know, by the way, they didn't like sitting in the classroom for a day. So let's just create five minutes instead. I, I think, I think sometimes we, we lose sight of the bigger picture, which in my mind is to truly develop a leader, there's a lot more involved than reading a book, you know, uh, internalizing a bullet, you know, understanding a framework. Leadership development is, is, is a long time journey. It, it never ends, in fact, for, for those of us that, that are uh, taking our career seriously. And what we can do as learning leaders, in my mind, the, the, the best we can do is give people opportunities for them to grow as a leader. And that can take many forms. It can take the form of, of a classroom lecture. Absolutely. It can take the, it, there's certainly room for five minute chunks of words of wisdom. Although I, you know, I would say point people to the TED website if they, if they want some inspiration, right? I mean, there's tons of, you know, just there's tons of things out there. It's tons of five-minute videos online that, that that one can 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 read. There's tons of books, of course, as well that are all great resources for people to expand their horizon, think about leadership and strategy and and, and business dynamics in new ways. Um, those are all valuable pieces. 
But what we as learning leaders can do, I think, is allow people to be part of experiences that shape their future. That, that, that's, in my mind, the biggest, the biggest thing we can do. And these, these experiences can be, I mean, obviously stretch assignments are a big part of leadership programs now, right? So instead of just putting people in a year-long, you know, quote-unquote leadership development program and you give them, you know, content, you basically say, well, if you're part of this leadership program, part of it requirement you, you got you got to get out of your comfort zone and and you know as learning leaders our job is to work with the business to design those you know no matter what you do you know I, I think the fallacy of like trying to package leadership development into these unique distinct learning objectives and then asking how much people recall five months six months down the line I think we lose sight of the bigger picture that what we really are here to do is to create the the moments, uh, the opportunities for people to tr to truly have insight. If they've just failed in a in a big way in one of our simulations, um, they made a call. You know, they, they their team was ahead until the last quarter, and then in the last quarter we have an external event where they have to make a tough decision to put people over profits at the risk of you know losing first place, and people make the wrong decision and then you have a disaster occurring and the team ultimately loses the, 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 the simulation because the leader didn't make the right call. That's a moment that, that first of all, is really impactful. But when we, you know, run into some of these leaders two, three years later, they go, you know what, that, I remember that. That's a moment I remember so vividly because it felt so painful uh, to have failed in, in the simulation. I'm really glad I did it in the simulation, not in the real world. And so when I think about, you know, where do we have impact as learning leaders, those are the moments that, that I believe we should work to create. Let's figure out how do we create those moments and let's have some patience and let's ask the business for patience with us. We're not going to make better leaders in a day or two. We're going to make leaders over time with a sustained effort and investment. Yeah, I think that's a really important point because it's such leadership in particular is something that takes a certain amount of experience and maturity, takes a lot of confidence. It takes so many different things that add up to it. It isn't how to fix a dripping tap, which you can get from a five-minute YouTube video. It is something that just takes a long, long time. It takes practice, coaching, etc and stretch assignments and all the other things that you've said. And even the simulation things you're talking about, they're only kind of one part of a much larger, more complex puzzle. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And it does take patience. And, and, and it does feel a little bit like, you know, as you said about nano learning, I think there is a place for it, but it's, it's, not, it's not really in leadership development. Or if it is, as I said, it's a very small part, a nano part of it. <laughs> yes. Oftentimes, I think too quick to misunderstand, I guess, the value that we can provide uh, when, when, we, when we do create the, the right learning interventions. Uh, and, you know, again, if, if, if some of the other lessons resonate, and, and, and I assume, you know, the, the, there's a lot of people here in the audience that, that have enough experience with designing these programs that, that you know, hopefully they, hopefully they, they resonate, uh, you know, but when you create something that, that has 
peer peer based learning. When you have something, when you have an event that involves the executives, where you can you know judge yourself against those executives and see you know hey how would I stack up? When you have skilled facilitators that really make people think and challenge people and put people on the spot, you know cold call them and say you know now now tell me why you did what you did, and you know you have to justify your actions. Those are all things that are incredibly valuable and powerful. But a lot of times what we do when we create our programs is we focus so much on the content and we focus so much on the the knowledge transfer, right? And, and we have PowerPoint slide after PowerPoint slide and we forget why it is so important to bring people together and let them learn from each other, let them learn from other executives, from the unplanned interactions and, um, and and that then leads to maybe some of the dissatisfaction where people say, well, don't give me a day of training, give me five minutes. But I think if, if you set it up right, and you know, we've had so many simulation events uh, that we run where at the end people are like, oh my God, we needed we needed two days for this. There's, you know, we we have like 50 more things to talk about here, <laughs> and and that's really I think the environment that that you want to create, uh, and, and that that ultimately leads to to true building of leadership skills. Yeah, well, thank you very much both for sharing your experience and knowledge on simulations. I think there's a five really good tips, and we've talked around a few other ideas as well, a few other things that make those simulations really impactful and and, and effective. And I think I really do like the idea about patience because I'm, I'm quite frustrated by this constant drag to everything has to be quick and cheap, quick and cheap, when I'm much more inspired by doing things that are good and high quality. So quite quite um inspiring to hear that that was there your your fifth and final tip so thanks very much for your time great to talk to you and i hope we get the chance to talk again at some point wonderful thank you john for having us on and uh, really appreciate it it was a fantastic discussion and then uh, hopefully for those of you in the audience uh, you, you took some some interesting things away thank you very much john thanks matt thanks Bjorn.